Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. It reads like this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The man saw that he could not overpower him, so he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The word of the Lord. This is one of the more elusive, strange, weird happenings in the Bible. But it's also deeply significant because it accounts for the name of Israel, who will become the chosen people of God, from whom God's Messiah will come. It's a hard passage to figure out because there's just so much that un, that's unclear and there are so many questions that are raised as, as we read it and as we hear it. I mean, is this, first of all, a dream or a vision or really happening? Because other times when Jacob has a dream, it's specifically stated. This one is not. Why does Jacob send his family ahead so that he's left alone? And a man just, just appears and starts wrestling with Jacob. Who's the man? God himself, an angel, some other figure that represents God. And if he's a divine figure, why does he need to ask Jacob's name? If you're God, don't you know? And how can a mere mortal like Jacob overpower this divine person? And why does the man need to leave before daybreak? What's up with that? And if this is God, what kind of a God is it who attacks someone and starts wrestling with them? Probably no ordinary God. Jacob might not be any ordinary man. Why does Jacob ask for the name of his opponent, but it's never answered? Um, 
And why does he hang on for a blessing? And what kind of blessing does he want? And what's the significance of putting Jacob's hip out of socket? And who would eat the tendon of a hip socket anyway? Lots of questions, much that isn't clear. And because there's so much that is open in this particular passage, this passage has received more commentary and more explanation than any other part of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob narrative over all the years, over all of history. And since everyone else has given it a shot for their explanation this morning, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and give it one more try, huh? Yeah, there's a lot that's mystifying in this, but maybe it will help us first to start with what we do know, what does make sense. Remember I say, when, when I read the Bible and there's a lot that I don't understand or the things that are confusing to me, I set those aside and I say, well, Phil, what can you read and understand? What, what does make sense to you? Now, this event is right in the middle of the account of Jacob having to face his brother Esau. Remember, Jacob swindled Esau out of the birthright. He stole Esau's blessing from their father, Isaac, and in his seething anger, Esau pledges to kill Jacob. And this forces Jacob to leave, and he is far from his native land and his home for a very long time, many, many years. Now, Jacob wants to return. And he sends some messengers back to Esau, who he hasn't seen in all these years, with the message that he is returning, because Jacob hopes to get some kind of indication that maybe Jacob's anger has subsided over the years. Surely, surely he's thinking, Esau is over all that stuff by now. Maybe. Hopefully. Well, the messengers come back to Jacob and say, Esau's on his way to you and he has 400 men. And Jacob is scared into fear and panic and distress. And Jacob, to his credit, Jacob, to his credit, turns to God and he prays to God. And in that prayer, he tells God of his fear and he reminds God that God promised to bless him and to make him prosper. And in Jacob's eyes, and who can blame him, prosperity doesn't look like being killed by your angry angry brother. That's not Jacob's idea of prosperity. Jacob sends some of his servants um, ahead with a large part, with parts of his flocks, his wealth, uh, toward Esau, offering these as gifts to Esau in hopes that it'll soften his brother up, who he deceived so long ago. And then Jacob eventually sends everything and everyone ahead of him. And then he sends his whole family ahead of him. And Jacob is left alone at the wadi, the river Jabbok. The story of his encounter with Esau continues after the wrestling match. So this wrestling match of Jacob's is sandwiched between the account of his hope of returning home and his showdown with Esau. And I say that because whenever we read God's word, remember context is important. It often gives a clue to the meaning of what we're reading. We hear that Jacob was all alone. And then abruptly, we read that a man attacks him and wrestles with him until daybreak. What does it mean? 
Well, the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament was the first to kind of take a stab at this. And preaching years later in the book of Hosea, Hosea decries the house of Israel for their deceit, for the way they've been unfaithful to God. They are full of lies and they are full of violence. And then Hosea says this, chapter 12. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his deeds and repay him according to his deeds. Now, before Israel got its name from Jacob, later in the Old Testament, the nation is sometimes also called Jacob. So that first reference is to Jacob, the nation of Israel, the, the, the people. He goes on. In the womb, Jacob grasped his brother's heel as a man. He struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name of renown. But you, meaning the people of Israel, must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. Hosea clearly interprets this wrestling man with Jacob as the Lord and uses the image of Jacob struggling with God to show that Israel has been contentious and self-centered from the time of Jacob. He's saying to a rebellious nation in his sermon, he's saying to Israel, you know what? You're a chip off the old block. Just like Jacob tried to take advantage of his brother and got into a fight with the Lord, Hosea says the people of Israel have been taking advantage of God and struggling with him. He also says you have a chance to return to him as well. But that was Hosea's take on this wrestling match with Jacob. Now remember the wrestling match in the night takes place while Jacob is scared about encountering his brother, right? That's on his mind. That's what is on his heart. And perhaps Jacob has to deal with God in order to get to his brother. Perhaps he has to deal with God before he can face the one who he deceived. Perhaps Jacob has to come to terms with God before he can come to terms with his brother. Because Jacob believes that the man he wrestled with was either God or was so close to God that he, sees, he feels he has seen the face of God. He has penetrated the mystery of God like no one has done so before. Jacob has dared to do what Moses and the people of Israel later will not dare to do. They knew that if they saw God's face, they would die. Jacob has seen God. He's also struggled with God. And he's prevailed, although in his victory, he also loses. Because he walks away with a limp. And that brings up another question that people have faced as they've read this event. Who really wins here? And though Jacob demands to know the name of the one who has come upon him with such force and aggression, God doesn't give a name. It remains hidden. But Jacob, Jacob gets a new name. Jacob is no longer Jacob. Jacob's new name is Israel, which means he struggles with God, or it can mean he contended with God. Mark that, okay? Mark that. That the chosen people of God, who the Lord would deliver from slavery through Moses, who would, he would lead into the promised land, who he would speak as his dearest child and even considers their relationship like a husband and a wife, but who rebelled with centuries of idolatry and injustice and unfaithfulness against the Lord. Yes, this name is, he contended with God, Israel. 
and the name was given right there at this wrestling match at the Wadi Jama. You wonder if people didn't think over the years and hear this story and kind of reflect on it and say, and we wonder why we're the way we are. But consider that Jacob is given a new name on his way to what will be, and here's a spoiler alert for next week, okay? Close your ears if you don't want to hear what happens. But on his way to reconciling with his brother, Esau comes out to meet him and they reconcile. Jacob thinks he's seen the face of God. Pay attention to the word face as you read these chapters. Go back in Genesis. For example, in chapter 32, when Jacob hopes to see Esau and hopes that okay's, Esau's okay with seeing him, he speaks of that I shall see his face. The NIV doesn't translate it that way, but they should have because that's the way it should read. Jacob calls the place of that wrestling match Peniel, which means the face of God because he said, I struggled with God and I saw God face to face. And then when Jacob finally does see Esau face to face, he says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. And that is why some interpreters have said Jacob's really wrestling with Esau. That man, that God, it's really Esau he's wrestling with. In the holy God, there may be something of that estranged brother. And in the forgiving brother, there may be something of the blessing of God. Make of it what you will. But Jacob is seeking reconciliation. You know, when you think of it, reconciliation is fundamental to coming to terms with God. In reconciling with the Lord, we have to reconcile with ourselves. We have to reconcile sometimes with others. We have to reconcile with things that will always be a mystery for us and that we'll never quite understand. We have to reconcile with weaknesses that the Creator gave us and that we're always going to have to live with. And this is all, all part of the reconciliation that we need to know in order to know God. And it is why in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes that when we are in Christ, we become a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's like getting a new name. Jacob got a new name. It's like getting a new name like Christian, a follower of Christ. It's like getting a new name like son or daughter of God. Paul says when we become a new creation, that all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We don't become a new creation until we reconcile with God and we reconcile with ourselves. And that only comes in a relationship with Christ. In this wrestling match, Jacob's really reconciliation with God, is he also reconciling kind of with his brother in this wrestling match? Because Jacob comes to his brother, a changed man. When he gets there, he is a changed man. You know, when people give, uh, get new names in the Bible, it means that they have a change in their character now. Think of it. Abraham, Sarah, all the people whose names were changed. Uh, Peter, Paul, Jacob. A new name in the Bible means a new character. And after receiving this new name of Israel, Jacob is no longer manipulating. He's no longer controlling. He's no longer deceitful like before. Is he a new creation? 
And is this what needed to happen before God could bring forth his chosen people, a people of his choosing who would bear his name? Uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was the former chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth. And this is what he said. He said, Jacob's problem was that he always wanted to be Esau. He always wanted to be in Esau's place. He wrestled with Esau in his mother's womb. He held on to him by the heel. He bought his birthright for a mess of pottage. Jacob dressed in Esau's clothes. And when he was asked by blind Isaac, he replied, I am Esau. He did wrong and it usurped the blessing. And when the hour of reckoning comes near and Esau is marching toward him with a large army, Jacob is sorely afraid. But Jacob doesn't run from the battle. And because of this, he is given a new name, Israel. Now, Jacob slash Israel no longer needs to wish to be somebody else because he is himself at last. And therefore, he can be reconciled with his brothers. Because he's shown great strength, he can now display great humility when meeting his brothers. Because he had the courage to look into the face of God in the darkness of a difficult trial, he can now look into the face of his brother in the light. I thought that was pretty good. I wish I thought of it. Made sense to me. How much of our wrestling with God is because we're trying to be something God never created us to be? And do we have to wrestle with God before we finally become who he made us to be? Now, does Jacob win this struggle or does he lose this struggle? It says he prevailed with God and won, but his hip is also put out of socket and he walks away with a limp. He gets the victory, but it comes with a cost. Often the great victories in our faith come by losing, losing ourselves. There's no reconciliation without the cross. And Jesus said, you know what? You gain your lives by losing your life. He was speaking of the cross when he said that. The people will come from Jacob and be named from Jacob, the people of Israel. They will have great blessings, but there's going to be costs to those blessings. There's a cost in the gospel. You know, I remember... Remember that time in the Gospels where James and John, the disciples of Jesus, come to Jesus and they say, hey, Lord, we want to ask you something and, and we want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. I mean, come on. You're going to come to Jesus and say, I, I got something to ask you and I just want you to say right now, you're going to do whatever it is I ask for you. And that's what they do. Now, either Jesus is just very polite because he entertains their questions or he's stuffing his laughter and just wants to hear what they have to say. But when he lets them speak, they say, this is what we want. We want to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your glory. Probably meaning when you bring your kingdom, which in their minds is going to be an earthly kingdom of power and prestige and being number one. They want the blessing. But then Jesus talks to them about cups that they have to drink and baptisms that they have to go through and crosses they will have to bear. For that to happen, there's going to be a cost. 
we hold out on God and he becomes our adversary. We wrestle with him because we have to save face. Because of our pride, we want to keep intact. We want to live life on our terms. But our greatest victories are often through our humbling. God will touch whatever it is that causes us to stand against him. Sometimes he even limits us, but it's always through his love. You know, in my struggling with God, it seems like he always knows the weakest place to touch me. He always knows where he can get Phil, right there, like Jacob in that hip socket. But of course, it always leads to strength in him. I think of where it says God's grace is sufficient for us, for in our weakness, his power is made perfect. There was a writer and a Presbyterian pastor, Frederick Buechner, who preached a rather famous sermon on this wrestling passage. The title of the sermon is called The Magnificent Defeat. And this is one of the things he said. And God is the enemy whom Jacob fought there by the river, of course, and whom in one way or another we all of us fight. God, the beloved enemy. Our enemy, because before giving us everything, he demands of us everything. Before giving us life, he demands our lives, ourselves, our wills, our treasures. Are you wrestling with God right now? You want this, and he's given you that. Maybe you've been resisting. You keep holding out because of the cost of what it would really take to give your entire self, your entire will, your entire treasure and life to him. He wants you to be his. And you know what? Losing to the Lord isn't so bad. Even if you have to limp to get there. God of Jacob, in our wrestling and our struggling with you, never let us fear losing to you. For you are full of love. You are full of grace and the power to give us a new name and make us a new creation. Christ, who lived for us, loved us by dying on the cross and rising again, we pray.